right. So I got an advertisement. I think I've advertised these before, but it's Lent. People look for different things. I got one guy three years ago, I suggested he give up coffee for Lent, and three years later, he is still cursing me. <laughs> oh, oh, Lent again. I'm not getting up coffee again. I did that once. I was like, dude, I didn't make you do that. It's like, you suggested it. It was really funny. We laughed about it. And now, uh, when we have Bible study during Lent, he'll hold his coffee up. But, something that's not... You can fast, and fasting can take all kinds of forms, and you can... Um, I had a buddy, he lived on the east side of Evansville, but he worked at St. Joe in the county, and so he would not listen to the radio. He wouldn't listen to any music on his drive all the way out and all the way back. And that was a fast for a period of time. And at the end of it, he was like, that was so good. And I'm not going to do that all the time for other reasons, but just that sort of pick a season and do something special during that season to make that season sacred is something, there's something about that. You can also add something. You can say, you know what? I'm going to get up 10 minutes earlier and I'm going to roll out of bed, do the Mennonite thing. It's the creepiest thing in the world. I'm, I'm at this house full of Mennonite teenagers. It was a family, but they were, you know, all these boys. And the alarm clock went off and every one of them jumped out of their bed, got right down on the floor next to their bed, and they prayed like this. Like as soon as the alarm clock went off, that was just their, their lifestyle. Uh, so you can add something when your alarm clock goes off. Just get on your knees and pray. Uh, um, so the add part, I think I've shown these to you. You can get these at the vineyard. You can get them online. But it's a book. It's a whole book of the Bible. Just in its own book. So this is 2 Corinthians. Way to be obscure, Dan. And, uh, but it only has the scripture on the left side. And then the right side is just journal writing space. And so you can read. And then... If you feel like the Holy Spirit's telling you something, or if you have questions, or you have things that you want to look up later, this isn't just underline it in your Bible. This is write out what your questions are. Write out, you know, if you got Haley's Bible Handbook, or if you got a study Bible with footnotes, and you want to copy that down. Other people have used this to just write whatever it says over here. They copy it down over there as a really slow way to read the Scriptures because you're copying the scriptures down. Um, so, of course, there are different thicknesses. What's it, what's it called? What's it called that you said? A scripture, uh, scripture journal. Um, I've seen them at, at Barnes & Noble. I've seen a bunch of them at Barnes & Noble. I've seen them at the Vineyard. I think I got this one at the Vineyard. And then you can get them on Amazon. You could get the whole set for like $100. You get the whole Bible. But don't be too ambitious. Uh, but it's really cool. And it's, uh, it's something that I have a buddy, and he bought all of us, our whole group, 2 Corinthians. And he said every week we had to show up with a picture 
a picture drawn about whatever we read. That's what, that's what he was making us. You had to think about it long enough to draw about it. And if you can't draw, you've got to think for a really long time to think of something that you're able to draw, right? Um, you can get Bibles like that. I have a Bible like that too. But I'm just thinking about stuff for Lent. I got this because it was on clearance. These might not be on clearance, but they're like five bucks. And, uh, and it's just the Bible. You don't, even, you don't even get footnotes. So, all right. Advertisement over. Like, subscribe, all that jazz. Uh, today, we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And um, I'm going to try to control myself and keep things on track because the Ark of the Covenant is probably one of my top three favorite things in the whole Bible. So you're not going to get the full fire hose. Just tell you right now. Don't worry. But when we last left two weeks ago, remember how Israel was getting beat by the Philistines. And they said, you know what we need? We need the Ark of the Covenant. And if we bring the Ark of the Covenant into this battle, then God will fight to defend himself and he'll win for us and we'll beat the Philistines. Never mind, all the priesthood was corrupted and evil and the whole uh, the priests were supposed to be the, the go-betweens between the people and God and that whole system was broken. Instead of fixing that system, they got... God in a box and we're going to put him in the middle and watch God have to rescue himself because we got ourselves into trouble and God will have to get us out. And God doesn't play like that. And so the Ark of the Covenant was stolen, was taken. Thousands of Israelites were killed. The Philistines hauled it off to their land. Eli, Eli's sons, which were both in line to be the priests, they were the corrupted ones, they got killed. Eli fell over dead when he heard about it. It's just disgrace, right? Sadness. So the thing is, in ancient times, we do this today too, in ancient times they thought that God was in a place and there was a place where God was. And that place where God was, was protected by that God, by that deity. And if you had the thing where God was, and you moved it around, then God would fight with the other gods of that area and win. Because he's our God, and he always wins, right? And uh, sometimes in, in a lot of other religions at this time, even before, you know, go all the way back to Egypt when Moses was in Egypt. The reason why they made a fattened calf, right? They made the golden, the golden calf while Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments is because the way they worked is that they, they imagined or they supposed that their deity would ride on that golden calf. So they, they acknowledged that God's Gods, right? Deities can't be seen. So they would make a golden calf and say, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. This unseen God is riding on this golden calf. So that's, that's a little bit of the, 
of the fine detail. You know, they're not bowing down and worshiping the cat, the the the, the, the gold thing. Most of the time, um, in their in various religions, pagan religions, they would worship the unseen God that's riding on that thing. Okay. So they have an Ark of the Covenant. Nowhere in Jewish law do they ever have make a gold thing and worship it. They don't have any any items, stuff that's sacred. They have things that are holy and they're used for holy things, but the thing itself doesn't have the power. Does that make sense? So they build the tabernacle and they have all these dishes and the dishes are holy because they're the dishes that you're supposed to use to do the holy things. But the dishes themselves don't have any power. They're just, they're, uh, sacred is better. You know how you have, in your house you might have the chair, and whenever granddad comes in, granddad gets that chair. I mean, I know most of you guys are the granddad, right? Growing up, if I was in a chair and granddad came in the room, I better not be in his chair. You get out of that chair real quick. Now, of course, granddad himself would be like, oh, sit down, Danny. I can sit over here. And he'd sit into some horrible chair, you know what? But that thing, it wasn't that it had power, but it was respected and revered. And that was my granddad's chair. And only granddad could sit in it if granddad was in the room. That's how a whole lot of the stuff. But the Ark of the Covenant is the Ark of the promise of the faithfulness and the testimony of God. It's a gold box. It's a wooden box covered in gold. It's about four feet long, about two feet tall, about two feet wide. It was to be carried by men, which is totally different than any pagan religion at the time. They would always put them on the backs of some mighty animal. But it's to be carried by men. It's going to hold the Ten Commandments. It didn't just hold the Ten Commandments. It held the broken Ten Commandments that Moses dropped and broke. It held those tablets that were written by God. It held the second copy of the Ten Commandments that were written by Moses. At one point, it had a jar of manna. And when I was a kid, I always imagined it was a glass jar like you can your tomatoes or your strawberry preserves in. No, it's a clay pot, right? That had manna in it that never went bad. It also had in it Aaron's branch. Remember when they were all arguing about who could be in charge and who's in charge here? And they said, everybody bring your walking stick up and put your walking stick down. And Aaron put his walking stick down and leaves came out of it and flowers and almonds. That branch was in the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Ark of the Covenant is this history box. All right, now we're going to veer. What's the deal with the Ark of the Covenant and Noah's Ark? Why are these called the same thing? And why does it matter? So, Ark is an English word that means treasure chest. And when they were translating into Latin... The Hebrew scriptures about Noah, as they described this box that they were all getting in, they were interpreting 
that it wasn't just a boat. It was a treasure. It, it was God's treasure that he was preserving and keeping to keep mankind alive during the flood. Isn't that beautiful? So if you think of it as they translate it that way, that's what, that's what when they translate it into Latin, that's what they meant. That it was Noah's box of treasure. It was really God's box of treasure. Preserving people. So then, you have the ark. The ark of the covenant. It's a completely different Hebrew word. But in Latin, it is a box of treasure. It is a treasure chest. Right? So it gets translated as ark. There's one other weird spot where the word ark shows up. And it's the same word, the Hebrew word that they use for the Ark of the Covenant. And it's the box that they put Joseph in when he died. So remember that Egyptians and archaeology, they would mummify their leaders and put them in gold boxes. And put them, you know, that's what the pyramids are. Just this giant awesome tomb. So that, that gets the whole treasure box, precious, important thing kind of mixed together with Noah and the Ark of the Covenant. So, they have the Ark of the Covenant. It is a big deal. It has angels on top, like golden angels. Um, this is one of the only places where God tells people to make a golden statue of a heavenly being. Because that would be so close to idolatry, right? That would be so close to them making a fattened calf or making a god out of gold. But he makes this, these wings. They say make these wings. And that's the lid. And that is the mercy seat. And the mercy seat. What in the world? The seat? Like it's a chair? Like you're going to sit there? So Isaac was born. Our son Isaac was born at St. Mary's. We went downtown. We got his birth certificate. And everything was cool. And it was great. Our son David was born out at the women's hospital. Out at the women's hospital. We say, great, we're all ready to go get that birth certificate. Birth certificate. And they go, oh, you have to go to Boonville because that's the county seat. I'm like, what in the world? It's like five minutes. Nope, Boonville. <laughs> Every one of our kids after that was all born in Boonville. No, they're all born in, right across the border. But the county seat, they used that word. And it was like, oh, the county seat. What does that mean? That's where all the authority in the county is in Boonville. All of the authority of mercy rests on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. The thing that, that contains the law, the thing that contains the manna, the promised provision of God, that God will always give you bread every single day. Even Jesus said, pray for daily bread. The thing that will give that to you, that encases that and covers it, is mercy. The, the total sum, authority, power of mercy is right there. It would only be seen once a year by one guy after he would do all these sacrifices, be drenched in lamb's blood, and 
fill the whole room with incense to protect him from God's glory, he would go in and he would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant to atone the Day of Atonement. Wow. So this is the thing that the Philistines stole. And they ran off with it. And they took it. The seat of God's mercy. God let it be stolen. All of that... Okay, we got a 25-minute intro. Okay. (laughs) 1 Samuel chapter 5. The Philistines captured the ark. Oh, also, just parental warning, we're totally going PG-13 today. Because of violence. And crude bodily humor. It'll be kind of like Shrek. They steal it. They take it. And they go into the house of Dagon. To Ashdod. So... This is the time of city-states where you had cities and every city was kind of a country. And everybody that was between those cities was open to attack, open to be attacked by anybody. It was really risky to live between the cities. You could run to a nearby city for safety if, if an army was coming. And the Philistines had five big cities that were each sort of their own their own countries, but they were all united together as the Philistines. Does that make sense? And so they go to the biggest, best, most important one where they have a temple to Dagon. D-A-G-O-N. I don't know how else to pronounce it. And uh, these people, were, Dagon was probably a grain, a grain or a fish deity. And they had a temple to him. And remember, they think their God is in the thing. So wherever they take it, he's going to beat the other one. So they take the Ark of the Covenant. They bring it into the house of Dagon. And they set it up right next to him. So they've got the big old temple. And they're like, we've got the God of Israel in a box. (laughs) And they set it up next to it. Like to show Dagon is bigger and badder than the God of Israel. Because here's his box that we took from him. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him back in his place. So they set it up. And they celebrate, and they probably had like a, like a feast day or a party. they totally celebrating our God, beat their God. They all leave. They come back the next day, and he is broken and smashed down, bowing down to the Ark of the Covenant. That's going to freak them out, right? Oh, great Dagon, can you not get back up off of your face and prop yourself back up again? He doesn't, right? They pick him up. That's important. There's this whole string through here, and we're not going to go there, but to watch people's hands and what God's hands, Dagon's hands, everybody's hands, what happens. I'll just, that's your extra credit homework for the week. So they set him back up. When they rose early the next, okay, uh, when they rose up the next morning, this is verse 4. 
Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and his head and both of his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. All right. So, the second day, not only did Dagon fall over, but now his head and his hands are chopped off, and they're sitting at the threshold of the temple. So, if we lived in this time, and we'd all be really tough guys, right? And we'd go out and pillage and burn and kill people, and that would just be like the way of life. When you bragged, when Jim comes back from all of his plundering, he's going to prove to the neighboring cities how many people he killed. And it's not efficient to haul all those bodies back. It was actually a practice that you would have a cart full of all the heads of all of your victims. And they would show off all the heads. And if that was too much trouble, there were other nation states in this time, in this in historical, in, in this parallel time, they would chop off all the hands. And they would have a whole cart, a whole wagon of hands to dump out and to show we completely wiped out, you know, the southern hills. Or everybody on the other side of Pigeon Creek. Or, I mean, it was just brutal. But that was how they would show nobody's going to mess with us from there anymore. So, it's a sign of victory. It's a sign of plundering. It's a sign, and it's not just a sign of, hey, we won. It's a sign of, we have obliterated our enemies. No one will threaten us there ever again. And so when you, if you were a Philistine and the rumor came from the temple of Dagon that Dagon fell over, you would be nervous. (laughs) But if you heard that Dagon's head and hands were chopped off and at the door, Dagon has been plundered. Dagon has been destroyed completely. What else is exciting about this? You guys, in 1996, like the year I graduated from college, not that long ago, there was an archaeological dig that found a chalk statue of Dagon with no head and no hands. And they found historical records describing what happens next in that same village, uh, inscribed about what had happened in 1996. So archaeology is still happening. It's still alive and strong. So Dagon is plundered, dead, conquered. They come in and they see that, oh my gosh. And then you get this little side item that the threshold is still sacred. Okay, there's all kinds of world religions that the threshold is sacred, and they're kind of adding a commentary. This is why the Philistines respect the threshold, because that's where the end of Dagon was. Uh, Okay, verse 6. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the Philistines of Ashdod. He terrified and afflicted them with tumors. Both Ashdod and its territory. When the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain for us. His hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. They knew 
not only were they being afflicted by some kind of horrible something something but they knew that their God that was not the God of Israel was being defeated by Yahweh alright so step back out of the story for a minute how much encouragement is there in this for us when we think we need to defend God when we need to stand up for God or I need to speak up for God what are the Israelites doing right now we don't even know like the last we heard from Israel they were all sad that the Ark of the Covenant has gone before that they were all sinning they, they weren't stopping these sinful priests from profaning God's name so God's not doing all of this stuff because Israel's doing such a good job He's not doing this because his people are so awesome. He's doing it because he is awesome. And he wants his name to be known. Now, does that mean we should start corrupting the priesthood and not speaking up for it? No, 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 no. But it means God's not controlled by us. God's plans won't be stopped. At the end of Job, the number one message that Job learns is that no plan of God's can be stopped. And so we can trust. We can really trust Him. We can trust Him when the Ark of the Covenant is off somewhere and we can't control it, that God is taking care of it. All right, back into the story. So they're like, oh, this is terrible. You've got to get the Ark of the Covenant out of Ashdod. He's destroying Dagon. So they sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines. Where do we do? They said, take it to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. You've heard of Gath before? Hometown of Goliath the giant. Killed by David the teenage boy. Maybe younger. This is the same Gath. The same Gath that brought you... Goliath the giant has possession of the Ark of the Covenant. That should just make you rip your shirt, right? No! Not Gath! They take it to Gath. And the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a great panic. He afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. All right, this is going to get gross. Heads up. So there's all different translations for what happened to these people. And there's a lot of theories. There's a lot of theories that since it just mentions men, that it was a problem that just affected men. There's a lot of people that don't think that's the case. Because remember when Jesus fed the 5,000, they said there were 5,000 men. It's because it's patriarchal history. Only men count. It probably affected everybody. The best scholarship, I think, um, points that it was a, a plague. Because we know that when the plague breaks out, part of the, two, part of the symptom of the plague is uh, big boils and sores break out and an influx of rats. And there's an influx of rats also. So either way, these people are miserable. They have, uh, it's, there's some translations that say they had hemorrhoids which becomes a problem later because they made them out of gold and they offered them back to Israel. So we don't know what that, how that works. 
whatever they had, the sores they had, the tumors they had, they were miserable. And uh, there's an increase of rats, and a lot of people died. Just flat out death. So they all go into a panic. Verse 10, they sent the ark of the God to Ekron. Isn't this genius of the Philistines? It wiped out all kinds of people in this city and made them miserable. Let's take it to this city. It made all of them miserable and killed a bunch of people. Let's take it to this city. I think it's brilliant on behalf of God. Because God, throughout the whole book of Judges, do you remember what kept coming up? God wanted to get the Philistines. God wanted to show judgment on the Philistines. And now he's put himself into the scene. They go to Ekron, and then finally they say, look, every city this thing goes to, people die, they break out in tumors, and there's an outbreak of rats. Do not bring this to our town. Send away the ark of the God of Israel. Let it return to its own place so it won't kill us or our people. There was deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was heavy there, and the men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. God is doing his thing. So remember early, early, early when God came against the Philistines through Israel? The Philistines said, we don't, have, we don't stand a chance against them. Remember what they did to Egypt. That was a, like a thousand years earlier. And they remembered the stories of what God did in Egypt. And now they were coming to the land of the Philistines. There are all kinds of instances where people saw the wrath of God coming, repented, and turned to follow God and to believe in Him, and they were saved. And it got Jesus into trouble. It got the Apostle Paul into trouble. The people didn't have to be Jewish. The people did not have to be raised to know any of this stuff. They didn't have to grow up learning it all. It didn't matter uh, if they were descended from Moses or Aaron or Quetzalcoatl. I mean, it didn't matter what tribe they were from, what nation. But you can see in this scenario, this is another one of these things. If God, if this curse is coming down city by city, and you're in city number four, and you heard about city number one, and you heard about city number two, now you're watching city number three, you have a choice to make. And they made the choice, keep it away from us. What if there would have been people that said, we want to know that God. We've spent our whole lives worshiping Dagon, but Dagon's conquered and plundered. I want to follow the God who's stronger. And they followed. What if they would have done that? You get a few cases of that in the scripture where people are like, we are giving up our gods and we're going to follow Yahweh. And they, and they turn. And it's awesome. Well, I'm not going to talk about it today, but I'm going to tell you what happens. Just real quick. Remember, all the gods of all the pagan lands were carried by animals. The Philistines don't know any better. They don't have the law. They don't know that back in Numbers, God said, 
take this tribe of guys and they're going to cover the Ark of the Covenant with a blue cloth. And once it's completely covered, then you send in this other tribe of guys and they're going to pick it up with the poles and they're going to carry it so that my mercy would be carried by people. Isn't that awesome? Is this not 1 Corinthians 13, right? Galatians 6, the fruits of the Spirit. God wants His mercy, the authority of His mercy, to be carried by people. Us. And so they don't know that. So they get some milk cows. They take away the, the calves from the milk cows. So now you got a disturbed mama cow, right? Milk cows were never made to pull carts. Milk cows were never made to pull a... Uh, oh, come on. What's the thing in the field that turns up the... A plow. Thanks. Milk cows were never... I used to work with this lady. She grew up on a dairy farm. She hated Chick-fil-A. Not the food. She hated their marketing. Because all of those cows saying eat more chicken are dairy cows. And she would carry on a blue streak. They shouldn't even use dairy cows in their advertising. They should, she'd rattle off like what breed of cow they should use because that's better for steak and blah, blah, blah. We were like, nobody knows that. She's like, I do that. I grew up all around those cows. You'd never eat one of those cows. They're for milk. All right. So you get some dairy cows. This is what the Philistines do. They say, we're going to test this God of Israel. We're going to get some milk cows. We're going to take their calves away so they're disturbed. We're going to tie a, a cart to them, which they've never pulled a cart before in their lives. They don't even know what to do. And we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant on that cart. And then we're going to put five tumors of gold. Nobody knows what that is. Whatever it was, they put five of them on there. And five rats made out of gold on this cart and then we're going to stand back and watch and if it goes back then we'll know that the God of Israel is guiding them and so they set this whole thing up they sit it out on the highway and they stand back and those cows just take off in a straight line and they pull the cart like they were made for it they don't worry about their calves that they're supposed to be milking they don't hit a bump and they just go straight down the road right into Israel. And all those Philistine leaders are watching and they are realizing that the God of Israel, by their own, they're the ones that negotiated that, right? They're the ones that said, if this is God of Israel, then this will work. But otherwise, we'll just keep it and figure out something else. And those cows went straight back, and they went right back. And uh, we'll start next week. Just imagine everything that you think the Ark of the Covenant is, and it's been stolen, what it would be like to watch that sucker coming down the path back into Israel. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. That your presence will never leave us. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you are sufficient and faithful to do the work that you want to accomplish, whether we are good at it or not. And we praise you, Lord, for your mercy. 
that you show mercy for generations to generations to all the people that seek your mercy. You give it freely and you love to do it. We thank you and we praise you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 425 together. The God who was once seated between the cherubim is seated in your souls. God bless you as you go out this week. Thank you, sir.